For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Pete Young, uh, who does the media uh, for churches that works in the office, told me that the, um, the little sailing boat is supposed to be me heading away. Uh, I didn't, didn't get that reference. Anyway, so there you go. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for all that you've given to us. We thank you for your grace in Christ Jesus. And we ask that as we reflect on those words this morning now that uh, you would instruct us, guide us, encourage us. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, a uh, common experience, I think, in the life of the church is that somebody begins or takes up with great enthusiasm serving in a new area. Can be all kinds of things. They might put up their hand to teach Sunday school. They might put up their hand to welcome people at the front door or serve people with tea and coffee. They put up their hand, they begin with great enthusiasm, and then a few months later, maybe a year later, they quit. And there can be all kinds of reasons for that. There might be changes in life circumstances. They might have a child that they weren't expecting. They might change job. There might be a sudden illness in the family or they might be struggling with illness themselves. There are all kinds of reasons that people can quit or 
step back from ministries like that. But one of the reasons that often motivates people to give up, to step back from ministry, is that they lose heart. They start with enthusiasm, but it's hard, and they lose heart, and they give up. This chapter here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is really about that exact issue. Twice in this chapter, Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. I find that encouraging because I think the hardest thing I found, the hardest thing in gospel ministry is not to lose heart, not to be discouraged. We meet here, some of the MTS workers, Steve and I, the ministry staff, meet here on Mondays uh, and we have lunch together and one of the questions, the two questions that we always talk about is, what encouragements have you had? What discouragements have you had? Uh, and it's helpful because ministry is hard and it's so easy to lose heart. This is one of my favourite chapters because it speaks to the reality of serving Christ in a broken world uh, and in a fallen world. What we want to understand today as we look at these chapters is how we can follow Paul in not losing heart in serving Christ. God has given us all gifts. He's poured out his spirit to those who've come to know Christ. He's poured out his spirit so that we can serve him wherever we are with those gifts. How can we not lose heart as we do that? Well, that's what Paul wants us to understand from this chapter. That's what God wants us to understand. And Paul begins by explaining how confidence in God and in the gospel pervades and shapes his ministry. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. He's just been speaking about the glorious ministry that has been entrusted to him, a ministry which is far more glorious than the one that Moses, the greatest figure in the Old Testament, it's a ministry greater than the one that Moses had because it's a ministry in which people behold the glory of God in Christ Jesus and are being transformed with ever-increasing glory into his image. And Paul says, because we have that ministry, we don't lose heart. Rather, he continues, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, because he has this wonderful ministry, they've re renounced shameful ways and committed to speaking the truth plainly. Now, the connection between not losing heart and renouncing secret and shameful ways, the connection between that is not immediately obvious. But it makes sense once we realise that one of the key reasons that people lose heart in gospel ministry is because as we make the gospel known, people refuse to receive it. One of the things that is most prone to cause us to despair in gospel ministry is that we make Christ known and people reject it. Paul is talking about that, we can see, because he goes on to say in verse 3, 
that the gospel is veiled. One of the reasons that people do reject the gospel message, he says, is because it, their minds have been blinded by Satan. It's Satan that keeps them from seeing the truth. We're engaged, in other words, in gospel ministry in a kind of spiritual warfare. And it's tempting in that situation then, when we realize the odds that we're up against, and when we see the apparent ineffectiveness of our gospel words, it's tempting in that situation to simply give up on making Christ known, to simply give up on sharing the gospel with people. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you were a keen evangelist. Maybe when you started in your job or when you started at the school that you're at, however many years ago it was, you started there with this desire, this commitment to make Christ known. And day after day, you're doing that, you're taking all the opportunities, but day after day, people just kept responding in the same way. It just all seems a bit ridiculous. It all seems a bit far-fetched. I'm not interested. My life is good how it is at the moment. Or maybe it was when you first became a Christian in a non-Christian family and you were determined that you would spend the rest of your life making Christ known to the rest of your family, making, bringing them to know the wonders of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And for the first few years, you were keen, you were enthusiastic, but then as time dragged on and people kept not being interested, kept rejecting the message, you just lost heart. And maybe you didn't just lose heart in making the gospel known to them. But maybe you lost heart in making the gospel known to anyone. It's too hard. It didn't work. But Paul says something unusual as well. It's not here that he just says, look, I didn't give up on sharing the gospel. He doesn't say, I didn't give up. But notice that he says, I didn't distort the gospel. There, there are two ways, I think, that we can give up on sharing the gospel. One is that we can stop speaking the gospel. The other way that we give up on sharing the gospel when we lose heart is that we actually begin preaching another gospel. We begin speaking things that are more acceptable, that seem more persuasive. When we looked at the book of 1 Corinthians at the end of last year, we saw that Paul said that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. And the temptation for us as we speak the gospel and people reject it is that we just tweak it a bit. It's what's so attractive about the prosperity gospel. Come to Christ and he'll make you rich and successful. Or the soft prosperity gospel, as it's sometimes called, come to Christ and your life will be fulfilling. Your life will be... Uh, there will be no hardships. You might not be rich, but life will be good. We dress up the gospel. We focus on forgiveness and min minimize repentance. We substitute something else maybe in the place of Christ. Christ seems too weak, too bizarre, too obscure. 
We speak about the death of Christ, but we kind of bury the resurrection because we're embarrassed that it's too supernatural. Those errors are not always deliberate or calculated, but they're often a result of having lost heart and lost confidence in the gospel itself. But Paul says we don't do that. We don't lose heart. We don't distort the gospel. We're committed to the plain truth. Why is that? Well, he says in chapter 4, verse 5, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Why? For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us a light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul preaches Jesus as Lord, Jesus as the sovereign Lord of the universe, the king over everything. And the one in whom we see the glory of God. Paul preaches that message, he says, because it's a powerful message. And he compares it to God speaking the world into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world, he just spoke, let there be light. And there was light. I, don't, I can never remember who it was that I read who said this, but, he, but they said, when God spoke the world into existence, he didn't speak to things that could respond. He didn't speak to a planet and say, be formed. And the planet went, oh yeah, great, okay, putting myself together. Uh, he didn't say to the dust, he didn't say to the dust, Become a human being. And the dust went, yep, done. But he spoke and his words carried with it the power to affect the very thing that he said. When I speak, that never happens. I was uh, in Sydney last week. It seems like three weeks ago or something. I was in Sydney last week and I got a hire car. Uh, and hire cars are great because they're always flashier than the actual car that you drive. Uh, and it had Apple CarPlay, you know. Does anyone ever, ever had that? Anyway, so I was, I was pretty excited. I plugged in my phone and uh, my sister has it in her car, you see. She's always sending messages to the family WhatsApp chat while she's, while she's driving the car. Anyway, and so I was driving along and I said, Siri, uh, I, I saw a notification, I said, Siri, you know, read my messages or whatever I had to say. And then it started reading the messages. And then she said, do you want to reply? I'm like, yes, great. I'm sending a reply. Fantastic. I sent a reply. I was feeling confident. Uh, and then I decided a little later on that I was going to send another message. I said, Siri, text the family or whatever it was, you know, in WhatsApp. Uh, my ETA is an hour or something like that. And she's like, there's been an error. Something is not working. And so I tried it again. There's been an error. I thought, oh, okay, that's all right. I got to the other end. I opened my phone. I looked at the family chat. I'm like, what happened to my messages? I'd accidentally messaged someone else in church. <laughs> they thought clearly that I was coming in an hour's time. When we speak, things don't change. Except when we speak the words of the gospel. When we speak the words of the gospel, Paul says it's like God speaking 
the universe into existence. God said, let there be light. And when we speak the words of the gospel, God speaks through us and he empowers those words and he makes them achieve the end for which he destines them. It's not because we're powerful, but it's because God backs his words 100%. We don't need to dress up the gospel. In fact, when we dress up the gospel, we take the power out of the words because we substitute something else in its place. There's no special tricks that we need. There's no special training courses that we need. Paul says in verse 13, he says simply this, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. That's all we need. To believe the gospel and to speak it. And God will take care of the rest. Paul says we don't lose heart because the God who spoke all universe into existence speaks through our gospel words. But Paul moves on from that wonderful truth to identify the flip side of that great power. And the flip side of that great power is great cost. He continues in verse 8 with the description of what it's like for him to be engaged in this powerful gospel ministry. Look at what he says in verse 8. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. What's gospel ministry like? What's it like when we speak these powerful words of God? Well, it's not maybe what we would expect. Paul says he's hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying around always the death of Jesus Christ. You would think if your words were empowered by God that it would be smooth sailing. Just rock up, speak a few words, go home, my work here is done. We tend to think that if our gospel ministry is hard, then there must be something wrong with us. If it's challenging, if it's killing us, we think that we mustn't have the gifts. And there's a sense sometimes when that's true, but isn't it interesting that Paul here, a man set apart by God as an apostle, set apart as his special servant, empowered in a way that none of us probably will ever be empowered. Here is this man and he says, this ministry, this gospel service is killing me. Now, why is it so difficult? Well, it's not difficult simply because we have to put sin to death. Sometimes when people read this passage, they think, oh, well, the main challenge that we're facing here is the sin that lives within us, the rebellion against God that lives in us. Well, that's part of it, and that is painful. But most of what Paul mentions here are actually external pressures. Why is ministry painful? Why is it difficult to speak the words of God in the places where God has put us? 
Well, it's painful because people are slow to learn and reluctant to learn. Anyone who has raised kids will know that. That teaching children, in whatever it is, is a, is a difficult task. So it is as we teach people the words of, the, of uh, truth. It takes an enormous amount of love and patience to teach people and to teach people who don't want to learn and to correct people and to correct people without resentment. Ministry is painful because people openly reject our ministry. And one of the most painful experiences in being a pastor of a church, I think, is when people openly leave a church because of something that you've said or, or something that you've done. Uh, but many of us, whatever gospel ministry we're engaged in, will face that. Ministry is painful because of persecution. Ministry is painful because we have to deal with other people's sin. Uh, ministry, confronting sin is painful in itself, but walking alongside those who are dealing with the consequences of their sin is difficult as well. Ministry is painful because it's perplexing. We have good intentions. We throw ourselves into something and it doesn't work. And we wonder, what is God doing? Ministry is painful because we make mistakes. We handle things badly. We do things sinfully. And we need to live with the consequences of what we've done. Ministry is painful because we have to give up things. Not only things that are wrong, but sometimes we have to give up things that are right and good. Sometimes serving Christ in the places that he's calling us to serve him means leaving our home or leaving our friends or leaving our families. Now, please don't understand, misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that if we are to serve God, that will look like a 100-hour work week uh, with no enjoyment, uh, nothing like that along the way. He's not talking about the amount of work that's killing him. Rather, it's the nature of the work and people's response to him that makes his life difficult. Even if you rest, even if you serve God in, in all the right ways, it will still be difficult because, Paul says here, it's God's plan for it to be like that. Look at verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's not an accident that gospel ministry, serving God, the gifts he's given us, is not an accident that that is difficult. It's actually God's plan and purpose. If ministry was easy the danger would be that people would look at us and think, wow, they have nailed it. They are so powerful. They're just wonderful. Look at that. That's often what we want secretly, isn't it? Deep down, we want people to think, wow, they're really, really just doing a great job. They're at the branch. They've got the whatever. They've got that ministry nailed. They've got this ministry nailed. But Paul says the danger is 
that people see us rather than the glory of God. And so God has deliberately made gospel service hard work. He's put this glorious, powerful message in jars of clay, in weak people like you and me. But notice that as hard as it is, none of these struggles, none of these challenges are beyond what we can bear. So look carefully at what Paul says in verse 8 and 9. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. My mental version of 2 Corinthians is the opposite of that. My mental version of 2 Corinthians is, I'm hard-pressed and crushed. Perplexed and in despair. Persecuted and abandoned. Struck down and destroyed. But that is so sinfully unbelieving, isn't it? Paul says, no, that's not true. It's tough, but I'm not crushed. It's perplexing, but I'm not abandoned. As hard as it will be, God is with us. God is sustaining us. God will protect us. Gospel ministry is plain, but powerful by the power of God. And gospel ministry is painful and difficult, but God will protect us. But Paul goes on again. And this is where it begins to get exciting. Uh, Paul says that suffering and death is just one side of the dynamic of gospel ministry. So he says in verse 11, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. That's pretty heavy-handed. That's pretty severe. Uh, What that means then is explained by the second half of that sentence. It is so. His life, Jesus' life, may be revealed in our mortal body. Now, what's Paul talking about? At first, it maybe appears that he's talking about his repeated deliverances. So he's crushed, but not in despair. He's, he's been in difficult circumstances, but God has brought him through it. Uh, but that's not what he's talking about. The so then, that begins verse 12, demonstrates that he's talking about something else. So the life that is revealed through Paul's bodily suffering is not, first of all, a life in him, but it is in you. It's the powerful gospel treasure that is revealed as Paul suffers in gospel ministry. That treasure produces life in the Corinthians. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. The life of Jesus is revealed in Paul's body, As the gospel is made known and people come to know it and are transformed then into the image of Christ. What Paul is saying here is that gospel ministry is not only 
difficult. It's not only what we might call cross-shaped. Gospel ministry is cross and resurrection-shaped. But importantly, the resurrection that he has in view here is not ours, but the resurrection of others. Death in us, but life in you. That helps us to gain then some perspective on the challenges that we face as we try and make Christ known, as we try and serve Christ in the places where he's put us. That is, for all the struggles and the difficulties that we face now, for all the costs that we might bear, none of us will ever get to the last day and think, I wish that I'd done less. For all the challenges that we might face, we'll never get to the last day and think, I wish that I'd done less. Why is that? It's because on that last day, arrayed in splendor, will be all the people who have come to know Christ, who've come to maturity in Christ because of our hard service in gospel ministry. Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament, they will be his crown in which he will boast. On that last day, our crown and joy will not be actually our own salvation. (laughs) I'm sure we'll be excited about that but it will be the salvation of all those who've come to Christ through us. Death in us, but life in you. Every tear that you shed on Sunday, Saturday night trying to get Sunday school lessons together, every time you open the Bible with your family after dinner, when you're spent from a hard day of work, every time you fumble your way around trying to find the right words to answer a question at growth group, Every card that you sent when you didn't know what else to do and you scribbled something down because you wanted to be an encouragement to a brother or sister in Christ who was suffering. Every painful rebuke that you wish you'd never had to give. Every word that you've spoken in season or out of season. Every word met with hostility or mocking or laughter. The pain of all those things will melt away as we see at the last day the fruit that they have borne in the lives of those to whom we've ministered. Death in us, but life in you. And why shouldn't our service of Christ and our service of others look like that? Why shouldn't it look like that when the Saviour that we followed ministered to us in that way? Death in him but life in us. Well, it would be easy for us to be overwhelmed by that shape of gospel ministry. It would be easy for us to lose heart. But Paul doesn't lose heart. We've seen he says it twice, and the second time he says it is in verse 16. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
Sometimes when we read those words out of context, we think that what Paul is talking about is just the normal course of life. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And there's some truth in that, of course. But he's still talking here about his gospel ministry. He's saying that as he engages in this gospel ministry, as he works to serve the Corinthians with the gospel, as he does that, as he is wasting away, he also is being renewed inwardly. Death in us, but life in you. But here at the end, it turns out, it's not just death in us, but life in you. It's outwardly wasting away and inwardly being renewed. Paul's ministry is not just transforming others, it's transforming him into the image of Christ. And that glory for which he waits, the glory that will be his on the day that Christ returns, that glory of the future is breaking now into the present. As he beholds the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't lose heart because the gospel ministry that God has given him is changing him and renewing him and making him more like Jesus. And in the same way, what God has entrusted to us, the service that God has given to us, whatever that might be, it might be destroying you. It might be the hardest thing that you've ever done. It might be killing you. It might be killing your hopes and dreams and aspirations. It might be driving you to give up your most cherished possessions or most cherished relationships. But Paul says, I don't lose heart. Because even though I'm dying on the outside, even though this world is passing away with all these disappointments, with all these unmet expectations, with all these dashed hopes, even though all that is passing away, I don't lose heart because inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. And Paul says, once he sees with that perspective, everything looks different. He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. He puts his present circumstances on the scale with his eternal reward. It's light. Light suffering now compared to an eternal weight of glory. Momentary suffering now to an eternal glory. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with at the moment in serving Christ. I don't know what you will struggle with in the years to come. Nor do I know what you have struggled with in the past. Maybe there are past pains of gospel ministry. Uh, and it's hard. And maybe you've lost heart. And you're finding it difficult to go on. It's the human condition in this fallen world. It's the greatest temptation that we have to lose heart and to give up. But God wants to encourage us not to do that. 
He wants to encourage us not to do that because his power is greater than our weakness. His power brought life out of death. He's done it before in the life of Christ. He'll do it again in us. Gospel ministry is plain but powerful. It's difficult, but it won't crush us. It's renewing us day by day. And the glory that awaits us is far beyond anything that we might struggle with now. Don't lose heart. Keep going. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for such a great and precious salvation. It was something that the prophets of old longed to look into and which has now been revealed to us on whom the end of the ages has come. In the past you spoke through prophets in many and varied ways but in these last days you've spoken to us through your Son, who is the heir of all things, who having died and rose again has sat down at your right hand from where he will come to judge the living and the dead and to gather his people. Lord, we thank you that for those of us who've trusted in Jesus, we've been swept up in that great salvation. But Lord, we also know that your purpose in all that is not simply that we might be saved but that having believed we also might speak. That having believed we might proclaim for all our lives the marvellous deeds of him who called us out of darkness and into your glorious light. But Lord, we know that frequently we lose heart and we give up. Lord, whether that's in serving in church, Lord, whether that's in our workplaces, whether that's in our homes as we seek to teach our children the knowledge and the love of Christ. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for that. And that you would enable us by your grace to see not the things as they appear before us, but to behold with the eyes of faith. To reckon our present struggles as light and momentary compared to an eternal weight of glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.